Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If you need something just to simply give you some joy today, uh, the pandas in D.C. who have grown up in a pretty much snow-free environment are climbing up the hills and and then sliding down and rolling around. And the videos, well, let me just say, are worth watching. There you go. It is, um, it, I want to lead off today in this hour by talking about Australia's I Forgive Day. So the letter I, the number four, the word give. If you were just to um, check that out right now as a hashtag, hashtag I, the letter, uh, the number four and the word give, it would take you to information about this day to find freedom and forgiveness. And this is an interesting conversation um, for all of us to have, particularly as Christians, in terms of how we deal with death, how we deal with the death of children, how we deal with the death of children due to, um, in this case, a drunk driver, and how we become people who use our grief in redemptive ways. So we talked with Sheridan Voicey at the outset of Hour One, um, and and Resurrection Year is a great book that he wrote about uh, his experience that he shares with his wife in terms of their infertility and and then how God has used that um, to speak into the lives of others. And so how do we use the grieves that, you know, the griefs that we experience in this life, the things that are deeply grievous, painful, awful, horrible, um, how do we allow God to use those in ways that are redemptive? It's a big question. It's an important question. It's not a question you can ask early um, in in the experience that someone is having of betrayal um, or, in this case, the loss of a child. But the witness of the Abdullah family, who has launched this initiative, um, hashtag I forgive day, uh, the letter I, the number four, and the word give, I forgive day, um, one year from the death of their three children due to a drunk driver, um, is worth your consideration. So they have created this as an annual time of letting go. And I want you to consider what that might look like, what that might look like in your life, what it might look like as a Christian to um, set aside some time today on this first I Forgive Day, um, February the 1st, to experience the freedom of forgiveness in Christ and, and to forgive others as, in fact, you have been forgiven. How do we actually forgive others? in the ways in which God has also forgiven us. 
Uh, here is a statement by Danny and Lila Abdallah. Our four children are now our four saints, and this day is for them. Forgiveness is the greatest gift you can give yourself and others. The more you practice, the better you become at it. It allows you to live peacefully, and it allows you to heal. Forgiveness is more for the forgiver than the forgiven. Uh, we are then encouraged to you know, search our hearts and our lives to find someone to forgive today, to set them free. Um, and to feel the freedom of forgiveness. Unforgiveness, we could talk about the reality of unforgiveness just being such an awful and horrible and painful root of bitterness in our lives. Um, The passage of Scripture that they lift up is from Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I want you to... Breathe deeply today of the forgiveness offered by our Father in heaven through Christ the Son by the power of the Spirit. If you have never experienced the forgiveness that is available from God in Jesus Christ, the grace of God offered in him, let me invite you to um, make, you know, like, right, say thank you to God, turn to him, acknowledge um, the grief you have caused him by sin and acknowledge that you have no way of working yourself out of that Um, and receive what he offers, which is genuine forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That could be the most important thing you do on I Forgive Day. If you are a Christian, then let me encourage you to forgive others as in Christ Jesus, you have been forgiven. Hashtag I Forgive Day. We'll be right back. Even when the jury and the judge say you got a right to hold a grudge, Joining me now, Dr. Linda Mental. You can hear her on the Faith Radio Network at the Dr. Linda Mental Show. You can find her at MyFaithRadio.com. You can also find her at DrLindaMental.com. Linda, welcome back. Great to talk to you, Carmen. And I just so appreciated that segment you just did on the need for forgiveness. So powerful. So uh, much healing comes from that. So thank you for uh, giving some time to that. And I hope that I Forgive Day is every day of our lives as a people who follow Christ. I do too, and I hope that uh, it becomes a thing here in the United States. This is now an official day um, acknowledged by the federal government in Australia. Um, And so maybe, I don't know, somebody listening could take it upon themselves to see about making it a day here. There you go. All right. We're going to do our part. Um, Linda, let's talk about um, reality and a little bit of a reality check. Um, I'm I'm just aware that there are a lot of Christians who— have had an experience in the last few days, the last few weeks, the last few months, certainly the last year, where a a person in Christian leadership whom they have respected, whom they have followed, from whom they've learned, um, has then fallen from a position of of respect to, to, you know, deal with the the very deep realities of brokenness and sin in their own lives, Um, and in some cases, years of it. Um, talk with us a little bit about 
what do you do when you get to the place where you've put a lot of faith and trust in in a person and you've believed something that turns out maybe not to be true? You followed someone who turns out maybe not to be worthy of your the kind of devotion that you gave them. Um, just talk a little bit about that. I know you have a piece posted from um, from last year uh, on this topic. Uh, and so let's just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, because this is, unfortunately, this is a cycle that we're seeing in our culture right now, um, but it isn't a cycle that hasn't been here before. And so I can think of other periods of time, uh, decades ago, when we had a number of fallen leaders, uh, things were revealed about their lives that were certainly not biblical and um, were causing a lot of people to feel betrayed and lose trust and wonder if the organized church is even something that they can, um, you know, deal with and go to and put their their time and energy into. But, um, you know, it's interesting. I was watching, I was looking at my kitchen a few weeks ago and I thought, well, my kitchen's pretty clean. I don't really have to clean it up. And then uh, there was this bright sunshine that came through the window at a certain part of the day. And all of a sudden I saw all this dirt and I was like, wow. Uh, I guess there's a whole lot more here that I thought there was supposed to be, and it really does need a cleaning. And I think that's what's happening right now in our culture is that the light is shining in very dark places. And as God prepares his bride, uh, we need to have a a clean and a holy church. Um, And this is what we're seeing. So in some ways, it is easy. And I think this is the biggest thing we have to guard against, Carmen, is feeling um, disillusioned. And so we have to fight against cynicism and apathy. And that's probably the biggest thing is people get cynical. They think, oh, you know, there's nobody that you can really trust. Everybody's corrupt. Everybody has something. Well, yeah, we're all broken. We all have something. And leaders today in the church are under tremendous pressure. They have a lot of temptation. And unfortunately, what I think we're seeing is there has been a lot of compromise away from the scripture and into um, other things. And God is cleaning that up by bringing things to the light. And so I would encourage all of us as we see this to fight against that cynicism and don't take an apathetic you know, point of view of, ah, oh, that means I'm never going back to church again or can't trust anybody. Why go? Now, our trust has been shattered in a lot of these people, but, you know, our trust is not in the person. It need not be. And I think in some ways we're seeing a big correction in the church. You know, the Bible is really clear. Where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. It's one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 141 or 121. And I was just reading Psalm 40 this morning and writing a blog on that, you know, God is faithful. And so if we put our trust in these people, and we start to listen to them, and we don't know the word. And I guess that's another thing I want to say is that we've gotten so into listening to opinion and not testing it to the word of God, that it is upon all of us to get back in our Bible, to start reading our Bible. And when things don't seem quite right, we need to question those things and ask the questions. Okay, so to to be able to test and approve God's will, like, right, that requires that, I'm thinking here from Romans 12, um, that I am no longer conformed to the pattern of the world, but I am transformed by the renewing of my mind. And that happens by being in the Word and getting the Word into, into us in such a way that we would then 
as Paul says, be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So um, I'm absolutely concurring and, and, you know, echoing, amening everything that you have said. I do think we have misplaced our trust. I do think we have listened to what people have said versus being sure that we know what God has said. Um, And I think that we have, um, we sort of, we have sort of imagined that the reputation of an individual and following them is good enough, close enough to following Christ. And instead, we better be sure we're following Christ, who is ultimately never going to disappoint. You know, one of the very first columns I wrote for a Christian magazine, and this was a couple of decades ago, was a column entitled Celebrity Christians. And it was a warning on how celebrity the church has become. And we have to be careful. And there were many, many people. I think Jack, uh, hey, hey, what's his Jack Haywood? I can't Hayford. even think of his name right now. Okay. Hayford, Hayford, thank you. Warned about that years and years ago. That as we become more and more, uh, the church becomes more and more like the celebrity culture, where we're just saying things to sort of tickle the ears of people because people would rather hear positive and upbeat things rather than sin. Sometimes I wonder if sin is even talked about in most churches. I I don't hear it very often in the things I listen to online. But, you know, the call to holiness is not a popular message. And it's not a popular message to say that sometimes we suffer. And just the the report that you gave of this, this, this wonderful Christian couple whose children were killed by a drunk driver, we don't want to think of those things in the church. And so we'd rather hear messages of, positive and goodness. And certainly there is the goodness of God, but the goodness of God is also when we go through valleys and suffering and we have heartache and God is with us during those times. He doesn't always take us out of them. He is with us. And so we have to know our theology. We have to stop tickling our ears. We have to stop having our churches be places of performance and, and hipster culture where, you know, that takes more attention to the person and the people that are on the stage rather than glorifying God, who should be the main event of every time that we meet. Um, It's one of the reasons I like the tradition church I'm in, because the word is elevated above everything else that happens in the church. And then I think we need to be real that there is temptation all around us. And we need to be praying for pastors and leaders and people in the church. And when one falls, Carmen, I think it's really dangerous to just do all this blaming and pointing the finger and hoping they get theirs. You know, that is not, they are part of the family. And when a family member falls, we need to be there praying for them, supporting them. Now, I want to be real clear, that doesn't mean they should go back to a leadership position. So I was very clear in my blog about that, that in some ways they've lost the right to lead that same group in the way that they did before. But we do need to pray for their restoration, for their healing, and then God will will have something for them. It may be very different, but we have to stop the blame culture in this process as well and then pointing the finger. You cannot, you cannot live your life saying, because that person acted that way, I'm not going to be a Christian. Because when you get to heaven one day and you're judged and you're standing before God, you can't say, you know, that pastor, you know, that guy, can I have a pass? Because he was pretty bad. We're going to be responsible for the way we respond to these things. We have to respond in love. We have to respond in grace. But we also need to use those examples and say, what am I doing in my life? What secret sin? What hidden things do I have? 
What am I not addressing? What am I not examining in my own life that could put me in that position just as easily? Hmm. All right, Linda Mental and I have to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to pivot um, here for just a moment, and we're going to talk about six ways to fight off the winter blues. Yes, because tomorrow is Groundhog Day. We'll be right back. All right, I'm talking with Dr. Linda Mental from the Dr. Linda Mental Show. You can also find her at drlindamental.com. Linda, all right, we got a couple of minutes to walk through six ways to fight off the winter blues. Well, you just I, you just had a spot that was talking about it. I just heard, and um, it said check with your healthcare provider. So I'm a healthcare provider, so we'll go through some of that. So <laughs> I just want to help people understand that the winter blues are seasonal. Uh, and they do, we think, we're not exactly sure what, what the cause of this is. We do know that there are some changes in the brain related to serotonin linked to a light. So we think light is a big part of this in terms of what happens in the brain. And if you're just feeling sad and you have kind of gloomy thoughts this time of year, you're feeling hopeless, kind of worthless, irritable, you're losing pleasure in things, you have low energy, you're having difficulty sleeping, you're craving carbohydrates, that's one of the big things. Um, and then even some people even begin to have thoughts of suicide during this time. They're moving into what is called a seasonal affective disorder. Again, related to the season, it usually goes away as the day lengthens and there's more light. And in places like Minnesota and uh, places farther north where you don't get as much light. I remember living in Chicago and at 4.30 in the afternoon, it was dark outside already. So I went to work in the dark, came home in the dark. So the light part is really important. So one thing you can do is just do some really simple things like lift your shades in your home or apartment, or if you're in a, a workspace and you can go by a window, I have these three massive windows in my office and they're just, they, the sunlight just pours in. It's like my happy place. I love going to work because of all that, that sunshine. Um, if the sun is out, is, is shining outside, I know we, Minnesota has a lot of sunny days and so do that that side of the lake. Now in Michigan, where I lived on the other side of the lake for so many years, there was a little, just very little sunlight during the, the winter. But when it is bright outside, don't wear sunglasses because we think that part of the light needs to go through the retina of the eye. Just go outside, be outside, walk a little bit. Um, the eyes bring in light and they will help with some mood regulation. And then just get outside and expose yourself to that. So there's lots of outdoor activities you can do in the winter, which is always fun, snowing, ski, you know, cross-country skiing, just going out and walking, snowmobiling, ice skating, all those, those great things. If you're really, really struggling, there is something, Carmen, that you can get, which is called a light box or a dawn simulator. And you can talk to your, your mental health provider about how these work, but they are, they are commercial lighting devices and fluorescent light boxes that help a lot of people. And some insurances will even reimburse for these if you have seasonal affective disorder. So again, check how those work. They sort of simulate the rising of the sun and the dawn, and they bring light into your uh, room. And then, um, you know, just try sitting under a, a certain type of fluorescent light while you're watching TV or reading. Now, I always tell my patients, don't stare into the light because you'll just get ahead. <laughs> If you do that, so, um, you know, you just sit, you put it there and then you sit and you read or you do something, just a normal activity. And then finally, uh, one of the things I mentioned in the blog is that we need to stay in the spiritual light as well. Mm -hmm. um, Psalm 27, one says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. 
of whom shall I be afraid? He is our anchor and he's our hope. So if you're really struggling with your mood, go to where your help comes from. Go to the Lord who will take you out of a dark pit and will put your feet on a rock. And then the scripture even says he'll put a song in your heart uh, on top of it. So he lifts your mood. All right, Dr. Linda Mental, you and I have to leave it right there. I love talking with you. Thank you so much. You guys can read The Six Ways to Fight Off the Winter Blues at drlindamental.com. Also listen to the Dr. Linda Mental Show right here on the Faith Radio Network. Linda, thank you so much. Great. Have a great week, Carmen. You too. You too. We'll be right back. Are you longing to belong? Do you feel like not only a stranger in the world, but do you feel sometimes like a stranger in the church? Do you feel like a weirdo? Um, So we have this conversation, I mean, in an ongoing way about these deep needs within us, uh, identity, belonging, and purpose, to understand who we are, the identity question. Um, We till that soil frequently in our conversations. Once the identity question is is answered, we have this belonging question that arises. It bubbles up. We have a longing to belong. Um, And so that conversation is the one uh, that we're going to have now. Uh, The book is No Longer Strangers, Finding Belonging in a World of Alienation. Uh, Gregory Coles is the author, uh, and he's already struggled with and written about the identity conversation, and this is his contribution to the belonging conversation. Gregory Coles, up next. This is Max Licato. Water. All Noah can see is water. You can relate. You've known your share of floods, flooded by sorrow at the cemetery. Anger at the disability in your body. Fear of the uncertainty of a pandemic. And and you've needed what no one needed. You've needed hope. Sometimes all we need is a little hope. That's all Noah needed, and, and that's what Noah received. This is how the Bible describes the moment. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Hope is an olive leaf. Evidence of dry land after a flood. Could you use some hope? Could you use a fresh start? At some point in life, we all could. And the oh-so-welcome news of Scripture is this. Our God is a God of fresh starts. This is Max Lucado. Joining me now, um, what a joy to have with us, Gregory Coles. We are talking about his brand new book, No Longer Strangers, Finding Belonging in a World of Alienation. Gregory, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks. So good to be with you. So I um, I teased this up by suggesting to people that you'd already written the identity book, and now you're writing the belonging book, which means that the next book in the series should be the meaning or purpose book. Hey, I'm 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 down to write that book. I'm ready. Bring it on. Yeah. So because that's what we, we I just remember conversations that we've had over time um, with lots of folks about this is really what 
every individual, these are really the three primary questions that every individual at some point in time asks and must then find an answer to. The, the, the conversation about identity, belonging, and purpose. And so yeah. talk with us about the, the recognition in your own life, um, you know, having, having sifted and entered into the conversation about identity, having arrived at the question of belonging, like we have this longing to belong. What, what, where does that come from? You know, I think uh, the, there's, a, there's a sociologist named uh, Abraham Maslow, uh, and, and he says there's this hierarchy of needs and that every time we meet one need, a new need arises. And sometimes when I think about that in my own life, I realize uh, that if I try to meet my own needs on my own, uh, I'm remarkably good at coming up with something new that I feel like I need. And I think there's actually intrinsic with us this longing that is ultimately a longing for God, that every time we think we've satisfied one thing that will make us happy, we meet the next thing that we also feel like we need. And God says, no, the answer is me. You have to keep coming back to me. And so I think ultimately the longing for belonging, like each of those other belongings in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, is ultimately a, 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 a longing for God. I think that's what it is at its core. Okay, so I think there's no question that you're right, um, and that um, that resonates with us. So when we start to enter into this conversation about belonging, if I'm if I'm trying to answer that question with anything other than belonging to Jesus, I'm going to come up short. Yeah. So talk, yeah, about, talk know, about, but, but I think that I like the way that you frame this in the book that, um, that Jesus is not going to, um, uh, answer that with the, I think the word that you use is currencies. And I thought that was really good. The currencies that the world tends to attach to, you know, this is where I belong, or this is what that looks like, or how you know you've made it, or whatever. Jesus is not answering with those kinds of currencies. Talk with us about how God makes our belonging um, real in, in such a way that it looks completely foreign in the world in which we live. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite moments in Scripture is this moment that's so good that it happens in all three of the synoptic Gospels. It's in Matthew 19, and then in Mark 10, and in Luke 18. And it's this moment where Peter has said to Jesus, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. In other words, we left all the things that we thought we needed in order to belong in the world. And so Peter says, Jesus, I want to know if there's going to be something that's that's left for us. And, and the way that Jesus responds to Peter, he says, uh, truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this life. And so there's this fascinating promise that Jesus makes that when we give up on the pathways that seem like the most obvious pathways to achieve belonging, it's actually in giving those things up that we discover a hundredfold the very things that we think we've lost, that actually counterintuitively the way to belong is to give up on the things that we thought we needed in order to belong. And certainly, I think that has been true in my own life. And so that's that's some of what I do in this book, is walk through my experience again and again of encountering things that I have said to myself at one point, this is what I have to do, Jesus, this is what I need for myself in order to be okay. Uh, and then watching how, as I surrender those things to Jesus, he actually provides a much better pathway to belonging than the one that I would have dreamed up for myself. 
Genesis 12 came immediately to mind um, when you when you were talking about this. And I thought about what the Lord said uh, to Abram, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household and go to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing like this. The you know, you you literally it doesn't make any sense. It makes it is nonsense by the standards of the world. And yet it is the only thing that makes sense um, for a follower of Christ. That's right. Yeah. And, and you know, in Hebrews 11, when that story is being retold in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews says, you know, Abraham, all these people who lived by faith, they were still living by faith when they died. In other words, even Abraham at the end of his lifetime is still in some ways a stranger. He's still living in tents. He's still the land that he's buried on has to be bought specifically for that purpose because he doesn't own his own land yet. And yet God says, I will make an eternal home for him. I just love that. I love that. I'm taking notes. All right. I am talking with Dr. Gregory Coles. We're talking about his brand new book, No Longer Strangers, Finding Belonging in a World of Alienation. If this is the question you're asking in your life, um, where do I fit? How do I belong? How, as a Christian, do I belong to Christ and to his community um, in, you know, in frankly ways that don't make sense in the world? I've got copies to give away. So text the word book to 877-933-2484. Gregory and I will be right back. Gregory Coles um, is a third culture kid. Um, I, I think that, um, I hope he doesn't, isn't offended for me to say this. Um, he's a misfit in lots of different ways, in lots of different environments. And that has a lot to teach all of us who are supposed to be living as strangers and aliens in this world that God so loves. So uh, talking today with Dr. Gregory Coles about, uh, about his book, No Longer Strangers, Finding Belonging in a World of Alienation. Um, can you talk with us a little bit, Gregory, about um, growing up, really outside of the culture that most of our listeners right now, the only culture they've ever known. You didn't you didn't grow up largely in the context of this culture. Can you talk a little bit about how that informs this conversation? Yeah, you're welcome to call me a misfit all you want, Carmen, because it's a very accurate name for me. Um, I, I remember when I was growing up, so I'm, I, my family moved to Indonesia when I was about three years old. Uh, my father was an English teacher there. And I remember as I was growing up feeling remarkably at home in airports. Um, this one time I was in an airport with my parents and I looked over at them and I said, you know, mom and dad, airports are just so homey. And, and my parents gave each other these looks that were like, what have we done to this child? You know, is the damage permanent? Can we pay for his counseling fees? Uh, and, and I realized that one of the things that I always loved about airports was that they were the one place where I felt like I had as much claim on them as everybody else. Uh, because I grew up with this sense that I was sort of an American, but when I would be in America, I would realize I definitely don't fit here. And yet when I was in Indonesia, 
I, I was not a citizen of Indonesia. Uh, I didn't look like most of the Indonesians around me. And so I had this sense that I sort of fit here. I sort of fit there. And so I would I would go to airports and be like, and finally, in an airport, I am I belong here no more or less than anybody else. But I think wrestling with that sense of what is my what is my national identity, you know, to speak back to the identity question, I found myself casting around and saying, I'm not sure that I get to claim any one nation on earth and say, this is my place, these are my people in a total and forever kind of way. And I love the, the perspective that that brings us right now in some of the conversations that we're trying to have as Christians in this particular American context, the conversations that we you know, are provoked to have about what does it mean to love the world that God so loves, like genuinely love people who are struggling today in ways that no one here in the United States of America struggles, um, at least not in this generation. And to have the conversation about people who are displaced and people who desire to migrate and people who, I mean, on and on and on, the list is very long in terms of the the conversation that each of us needs to have about identity national identity, uh, my identity as a Christian who's a citizen of the kingdom of heaven first, um, a person whose you know, longing is for a home not built by hands. Um, I mean, all of those things that I know from Scripture. And yet, you know, when I'm just going down the list of my everyday, you know, I got to pay the electric bill and I got to get groceries and I got to get kids to school and, you know, maybe schools, you know, having first, I mean, da, 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 right. The, the litany of things that I think people are dealing with, we don't often pause long enough to have the conversation you are provoking us to have, which is what does it mean to belong to Christ? What does it mean to belong to Christ? Set everything else aside what does it mean that I belong to Christ? Have I, have I about got the thesis of the book? Absolutely, yeah. And I think I think I would add further that as we as we dwell on our belonging with Christ, it starts to inform every other piece of our identity. So it's not that as we belong with Christ, we forget that we happen to be citizens of the United States of America, but it's that our United States of Americanness starts to be filtered through the lens of how do I take that as somebody who is a follower of Jesus and how does my trust in Jesus fundamentally transform the way that I live as somebody who is an American? How does the way that I follow Jesus transform the way that I live as someone who is white? How does it transform the way that I live as someone who is male or female? How does it transform the way I live as someone who is in the suburbs, and on and on the list goes. I think the more we lean into Jesus, it's not that we forget the other aspects that we bring to our experience of the world, but it's that those other aspects of our experience of the world start to be filtered through the lens of who Jesus is, and he, he remakes us into the kind of person that he intends us to be to the world around us. Oh, I like that. Thank you for that clarification. I am talking with Dr. Gregory Coles, the book is No Longer Strangers, Finding Belonging in a World of Alienation. If you feel like a misfit and you, um, you're really longing to answer the belonging question, you don't feel like you fit, this book is for you. Give us, uh, text the word book to 877-933-2484. I have some copies from our friends at InterVarsity Press to give away today. So um, thank you to our friends at IVP for that. 
Again, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, I want to, can I pivot and have a conversation about your, um, uh, a writing project that, um, that just sounds totally cool and has nothing to do with this? By all means. Okay. What does it mean? Um, what is the dark crystal or the great dark crystal? And when, what, what is, what is the quest about and why are you trying to be the next person that writes for them? Like, what is that? Oh, this is such a fun story. Uh, so, well, so the Dark Crystal. There's a movie that came out in about 1970. Uh, this is a, a Jim Henson movie. So Jim Henson, which you, the, you the were clearly the... not born then, because you are not that old. That is correct. You are you are very correct. <laughs> um, but Jim Henson, the creator of the Muppets, also made this. You know, and it was it was kind of a cult classic. You know, pe- people loved it. Um, and it's this fantasy film um, made with made with the puppet technology that was the leading technology at the time. Um, about how how many years ago now? Seven or eight years ago, um, the the Jim Henson Foundation, uh, Jim Henson's daughters, decided to sponsor a young adult fiction series based on the world of Thra, which is the world in which the movie The Dark Crystal is set. And my agent, uh, who is of Dark Crystal watching age, though I am not, my agent reached out to me and he said, I actually think that you would be really good at this competition. So so I wrote up I wrote up an entry. It was like a little 8,000 word story fragment of what could become a young adult spinoff series. Um, and so entered it into this, this uh, international competition. Uh, and I became a finalist, which was really cool. And so they decided to take the five finalist entries and publish them all together as a sort of mini book. Um, I did not, alas, win the competition, so I never got to finish my story. But I've always had in my brain that someday the world of Thra has this has this whole story that will unfold in it. Okay, so I love that. I love that um, you're writing uh, out of your redeemed imagination. Uh, I just think that there are so many things that uh, so many contributions that you're going to make to our ongoing conversation. Um, some of them are going to be these like deeply theological varieties, this conversation about identity, this conversation about belonging. Um, but maybe others are going to lead us into conversations through fiction. And I'm going to keep an eye on that and watch for that. So, uh, Dr. Gregory Coles, thank you as always so much for joining us today. Uh, we appreciate you being with us. The book is No Longer Strangers Finding Belonging in a World of Alienation. Greg, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Carmen. What a joy. If you are interested in the book, text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. There's always a reason to always choose joy. There's something deeper that the world can't destroy. Okay, let me encourage you to choose joy today to live into uh, this reality of uh, of the day that we are setting apart on this February 1st as I Forgive Day. So check out the hashtag, the, le- the letter I, the number four, I Forgive Day. Um, check out what's happening in Australia on this first annual I Forgive Day and consider what um, what it might mean to you to tangibly reach out today to someone who has wronged you and actually grant them forgiveness. Um, The impact it will have on you is 
of is really extraordinary. The impact it will have on them is uh, untold. And I would say don't don't place your expectations in how they respond, but in the reality that from the reservoir of forgiveness that you have received in Christ Jesus, you have forgiveness to give. You have forgiveness to give. You can forgive because you are forgiven. I forgive day. Consider what that might look like in your life today to not only live in the freedom of forgiveness that you have experienced in Christ Jesus, um, but to forgive others as in Christ you have been forgiven. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Mindful of what the Lord's Prayer has to say about this topic, um, that we would uh, indeed forgive others as God has forgiven us. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.